0: Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege of having Neil Shenvey back on the show today. Neil, welcome back. Thanks,
1: Ryan. Good to
0: be here. One of the things that I like about your approach, Neil, is you really do take everything back to the Bible. One of the questions is, how do you balance reading books outside the Bible versus reading the Bible itself. Do you have any advice for people who are just getting started in apologetics, who know that they need to keep reading the Bible and have all their thoughts anchored there, but they also feel like they need to read widely in order to effectively engage in the culture?
1: For young apologists, I would definitely encourage you to get a really good grounding in theology first, before you tackle anything else. And again, I'm not at all saying you shouldn't read outside the Bible. I'm just saying be grounded in your theology first because it will actually help you to evaluate the things you're reading outside the Bible. And also just read good Christian books too. I mean, definitely Bible comes first, but a lot of other commentaries, sermons are also good supplements to the Bible and to forming your worldview. I think the ideal (laughs) would be like 50-50. We want the Christian worldview to capture our minds and our imaginations to a great degree, and that that we're being shaped in our characters and shaped in our emotions by the biblical story and the biblical narrative.
0: That's great advice. That's a message that I probably preach more than I practice (laughs) as well. And I think, you know, part of it, I know there were times before I got really into a lot of these cultural conversations where 80, 90% of my diet was just Bible, Bible, Bible. There was periods in my life where I was laying a foundation to build off of. And like you said, I think every Christian and certainly every apologist needs to have that season in their life where they are just building, building, building out of the Bible. I know another person that espouses that same message is Vodibachum. And I've read much of his work and have a lot of respect for his message. I know that you did a book review of his Fault Lines book that he published recently. One of the things I liked, Neil, about your approach is that it was very balanced, typical of your ministry in general. I know there was a well-known pastor who was Quite critical of Vodi Bacham's book, you took a much more balanced and gracious approach, as I would expect. What can we as Christians learn from this about how we interact with each other, especially in front of the world?
1: I appreciated Vodi's book. I did have some criticisms of it. You can read my review, but I also thought there were good parts of it too. I recommend Christians read the book before they critique it. Obviously. <laughs> uh, And also read people on both sides. I always say this, read Votie and read Shai Lin, who is Mm. both reformed evangelicals, but they take different approaches to, say, racial issues. It's good to read both. It's not good to read only one side. And I would say I fall much more on Vodi's side than on Shai's, but I think they're both believers and I think we have things to learn from both. And so, and always... I tell people read broadly because reading broadly forces you to read critically. If you only read one side of a story, the Bible itself says, you know, who makes his case first seems right until someone else comes and questions him. Don't just read the woke or the anti-woke. Read both and then figure out. And you're forced then to to decide who's telling you or who is closer to the truth by comparing them to what the Bible has to say on these issues. And in terms of interacting with other believers, yeah, I definitely place a high premium on charity and I mean and Paul frankly does too right in Corinthians he right. talks about you know dare you go before unbelievers with these lawsuits there is a time to confront people to name people specifically and say this is wrong this is false and even to say this is outright heresy and to reject it i don't think it's wrong for any christian to do that but i, I would say that when you're dealing with someone especially that you truly believe is a fellow believer i would tend to take the Matthew 18 approach. It's not needed for public teaching. You can respond publicly without following Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is talking about personal sins against you. But that said, I still would try to contact them first and say, hey, am I I reading you right? Did I misunderstand Mm -hmm. you? What do you believe? Talk to other people that have thought about this issue before you just launch into this, any kind of diatribe, and especially be mindful of how people outside the church perceive you. I tend to fall on the side of being especially careful not to give unnecessary offense. I do think there's room in the church for people on the other side and saying, no, we have to be very clear and to repudiate these ideas and even these teachers who are teaching error. I think in the Bible, there are models like Ezra and Nehemiah of people that take different approaches. So I don't think I would... Cast people out and say, How you need to be more winsome and ironic? I'm like, Well, there's room for like, well, go back and read Martin Luther, go back and read it. Frankly, <laughs> yeah. the funny thing is, this sort of gentle, charitable, kind approach is kind of an outlier in Christian history. If you look yeah. at people like Luther, Calvin, the Wesleys, we would call them today heresy hunters and the, oh, yes. they're terrible. Yeah. And that should give us a little bit of pause when we're like, Wait a minute, maybe I'm the outlier being so. You know, sensitive and I don't want to step on any toes. These guys in the past were not afraid to call it error. So
0: Yeah. I like in your I think at the end of your book review you suggested a some kind of a dialogue facilitated by Carl Ellis between Vodi Bachum and Shai Lin. I think that would be an amazing conversation. It would be
1: great because I truly believe you got them both on stage with a good moderator. I think we'd be surprised. And how yes. much they agreed on. They would both be forced to answer hard questions. Yes. And I think that we are robbing ourselves of that opportunity when we get in our little huddles with people who agree with us. That's and good. again, I say that as someone who is, I would say more on Votie's side of this issue, sure. but who truly believes that I want to win people from the quote unquote other side. And a way to do that is through reason dialogue that stands on the truth of scripture.
0: And I think there's a lot of examples of it being done well. Even Shai Lin wrote a song called False Teachers Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: got some blowback from that. And I thought very respectfully, very, very well done, responded publicly to that letter with truth, but also with graciousness and patience. And so I think All of us can do this well. I've also seen Sean McDowell, who will be another speaker at our conference here in a few weeks, do an amazing job of reaching out to those that he disagrees with. There's the Drew McCoy. He has an atheist podcast, The Genetically Modified Skeptic. And Sean, Drew made a, a YouTube video about, well, when Sean does his atheist encounter, it wasn't really representing atheists. atheist. And rather than just kind of get into this fight over social media, Sean reached out to him and said, hey, come on my show. I'd like to interview you and give you hmm. a voice. And they've done this dialogue back and forth a couple of times. And I thought, wow. That's the way it ought to be done is reaching, not just hiding behind your computer, sending out social media flames against all these other Mm -hmm. people, but reaching out. And so I think there's a lot of very good examples on both sides of lots of things where people do reach out and engage in conversation. So
1: Mm -hmm.
0: along those lines, have there been examples in your ministry where people have reached out to you with either a gentle or even a strong criticism? That has turned out well? When I
1: talk to people, anyone who either agrees or disagrees with me, but often if I know them fairly well, I will close by saying, please keep an eye on whatever I say and Mm. correct me if you see anything wrong. If you think that is it something unfair or false or even just inappropriate, just keep an eye on it. Mm. I want to have many eyes on my sort of social media perspective because obviously, you know. Everything looks right in your own eyes, right? Well, we all, there's a way that it appears right to a man and that way it leads it to death, and so I've had I've had people you know message me privately and say that was inappropriate, or I wouldn't say it that way, or something like that. Less frequently, and this is sort of my frustration too. I I do collaborate with Dr. Pat Sawyer, who has a PhD in, in education and cultural studies. So he, I think he edits a journal of critical pedagogy or something. So he, you know, he, this is his field, and so he's right. definitely shaped my thinking around this. And so he has. I wouldn't say it, but he definitely has been like, oh, you, you need to mention this. I was like, oh, really? And I, he's like, yeah, it's very important. So I remember yeah, years mm-hmm. ago when he was first thinking about power, he's like, it's hegemonic power. It's very important you talk about hegemony rather than just like power that we think about oh, it usually is like. <laughs> and I was like, really? Amazing to me at the time, this was again like four years ago, but mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a huge oversight on my part. So he's definitely shaped my thinking in, in various ways. In terms of like, I wish I had more examples of someone saying, here you said, X, that's false. And then making the case. Unfortunately, I get a lot more criticism of like, well, you're not focusing on the right things. I'm like, well, I, I do mention this. Well, you're not mentioning it enough. And like, well, it's like that, that at some point, no, it, it's one of the common responses to the things I say, I hate the idea of having a quote unquote ministry. I'm just trying to serve other Christians and serve the right. church. So anyway, I don't like that terminology. People, consistently want me to say which is a bigger threat to the church racism or critical race theory.
0: Oh, and I, see.
1: I just okay. say I say I will not make that call for several reasons. One is that I think we can just denounce both. We can say look, sure. racism <laughs> is a sin and a critical right. race theory is an error and we should reject yeah. both. What's wrong with that? And the other thing is that I don't think we should rank the errors mm. because different churches will have different strongest temptations. Right. So for right. example, a church in Portland, probably their bigger temptation is succumbing to the pull of a culture and critical race theory and critical social justice in a highly sure. progressive town. A church in deep red Alabama or something sure. in the middle of a deeper County, the probably the pull is more towards the center of racism. So right. to make this blanket claim, like, well, this is the real problem in the church at large in the US is to risk the other error, which is equally bad, becoming lost and just ignoring that threat. So I was, I draw the picture I have is of a cliff at the middle of an ocean, like an island, huge cliffs on both sides. So right. there are errors on the left and the right, and you don't want to just right. push people away from one error only to push them towards another error. Towards right. Right. Yeah. Instead we call everybody back to the safe spot in the dead center of the Bible.
0: No, that's um, good. Let me change subjects a little bit. Speaking of Portland and Portland professors, a very famous Portland professor at Portland State University, Peter Bogosian, recently resigned and and published this very public letter about how the university had kind of really bought into this critical social justice hook, line, and sinker and, and how it was not good for universities and good for free thinking. Do you think other prominent atheist professors are going to follow in his footsteps?
1: uh, I don't think so, only because I I think a lot of people share his concerns. It's very hard just to leave your job. People work hard Mm. to get to where they are in academia. It's very competitive. And so it's hard just to walk away from a job that you mostly love, even if you're concerned about the way in which entire universities are being co-opted by this worldview. And I think that in terms of Boghossian personally, he was pushed to the point where he no longer enjoyed his job because sure. of this, this constant indoctrination going on at his university, at least as he, as he perceived it. It'll either take people getting to that point where they're so beset by these terrible ideas, they're just like, I'm done. Or it'll reach a point where there's a critical mass of professors who are pushing back against these ideas and saying, as a group, we are not going to let this ideology take over our university it's happening a little bit. I don't think it's happening enough. And I frankly don't know if it can happen. enough. <laughs> I think you're talking about entire departments that have a conservative professor, a, <laughs> and, and, not, you know, and given that critical social justice is absolutely unapologetically a progressive movement. So it's hard for classical liberals, meaning liberals, but you right, still right. believe in these liberal principles of freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, it's very hard for them to push back against people who share their social views, but also believe in these very illiberal ideas with regard to things like speech and the crazier things regarding gender. Now we're seeing more and more in race.
0: Yeah, I certainly respect Dr. Bogosian's courage and to take a stand and kind of follow his convictions because we're a, a kind of a local ministry here in Portland, a lot of our kids who have been trained up in apologetics and biblical worldview and these teachings have actually gone and taken classes with him. Hmm. And probably the most consistent feedback from 100% Christian, biblical worldview, arguing for apologetics, doing Christian apologetics kids, and they come back and say, man, I loved being in his class. He really frames the argument well. He's very, very respectful of the opposing viewpoint. He would invite pastors into his class to kind of represent themselves. And so changing subjects one more time, you have an interesting perspective on the gospel as an apologetic. And I think it's going to be one of the talks that you give at the conference here. Give a quick overview of what you mean and the approach that you take in that.
1: Yeah, so the idea is that the gospel message itself is the best apologetic for Christianity. So I usually talk about how apologists go through the standard arguments for God's existence, for the reliability of the Bible, for the resurrection, We have all those intellectual arguments with the idea that we're going to eventually get to sharing the gospel. So we'll convince people that Christianity is true, that God exists, the Bible is reliable, Jesus rose from the dead, and then we share the gospel message, that Jesus died for your sins and was raised to life for your justification. But I argue that actually that message, that Jesus died for your sins, was raised to life for justification, that message itself is the best apologetic for the truth of the objective truth of Christianity. And Mm. so instead of seeing apologetics as this thing you do before evangelism, that actually the evangelism step itself is apologetic. That Mm. seems very strange to most Christians. And so here's the argument that I make. Let me give you an illustration first to show you the structure of the argument. Imagine that I'm playing pickup basketball, and in the middle of the game I just collapse. I'm lying on the ground. People run over and say, "You know, we just twisted an ankle. You just get up. I'll help you get up. Walk it off. You'll be fine in five minutes." Another guy says, "No, no, no. I think you might have sprained your ankle, and so I'll run across the street to a CVS, buy some Advil, and give it to you." Another guy says, "I have an Ace bandage in my car. I'll wrap up your ankle. We'll walk you around. You'll be fine tomorrow." Mm-hmm. But while they're all discussing which option you know is best, a woman rushes up to me and says. I saw what happened. I'm a doctor. We have to get this man to a hospital immediately. His life's in danger. And they all look at her like, she's crazy. They're like, lady, look, he just, this is not a big deal. He sprained his ankle. It's don't You're freaking out. And she says, no, I'm a doctor. Get this man to a hospital. He's going to die. Get, call an ambulance. And she comes over to me and she says, I'm going to tell you some two things. She's like, you can't feel your legs and you can't move. And again, the people, the crowd's like scoffing at her. Like, give me your credentials. You're not a doctor. Yeah. You're just some nutcase. And I say, take me to a hospital right now. And they look at me and they're like, what are you talking about? Why? And the answer is, I know two things they don't know. I know that I can't feel my legs. and I know that I can't move. And mm. she alone knew those two facts that no one else knew. Mm. So I mm. then am justified in trusting her assessment. She, how did she know that when no one else knew it? Okay, mm. the argument from the gospel works the same way. It says this, if some religion or ideology or worldview If some religion makes two truth claims that are unique and are uniquely true, these deep existential truths about human existence that makes these unique claims and those claims are true, then the best explanation is that that religion is true. Think about all the religions out there. They have lots of different beliefs about humanity and the universe, but some claims are unique. And if one religion is uniquely making certain claims and is right, all religions, all worldviews, all ideologies, it's right. Those two claims. Well, why is that? What's the explanation? The best explanation is, well, because it is the true religion. (laughs) It's, it's, Mm. It's a revealed religion. It's why it gets those two deep truths right. And therefore, most likely, it's actually true. Well, what are the two unique claims that Christianity makes? Number one, it claims that we are radically sinful. And number two, it claims that we need a radical rescue. Actually, I actually have a book coming out with Crossway uh, next spring. One of the arguments I make is this argument in the gospel. So in that book, I go through and I say, okay, well, first of all, we have to make three premises here. Number one, are those claims really unique? Is Christianity really the only religion that teaches that you are radically sinful and that you need a radical rescue? Mm. And I go through the you know, major world religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity. And I show that yes, indeed, of all these major faith traditions, Christianity is unique. Now. By itself, it doesn't do anything because it could be uniquely wrong. Right? Sure. So, so all we've proven at this point is empirically, yeah, Christianity really does teach in a unique way that man is fallen. It is just given to all manner of wickedness and it's a rebel against God, deep radical sense. And that we need not just moral improvement, not just to be better, do better, right. but we actually need to be rescued by something outside of ourselves. Mm. We need a savior. Mm. So that's unique, but it could be uniquely false. I could be a humanist and say, yeah, I believe that but that's garbage. Okay, right. the next two premises then, I have to defend the truth of the claim that yes, indeed, actually, you are radically sinful and you do need radical external rescue. You need redemption. Mm. You don't just need to patch up your life and you need to rescue. And in the book, I go through just the evidence for those the truth of those two claims. If those three premises are true, then logically, the most probable explanation, the best explanation is that Christianity is true. And again, I go through evidence from history. I go through evidence from psychologies, experiments, child development. I go through just reasoning about moral duties, how we think about God's law. The final thing I point out is that this argument, which I, again, I believe it's the best argument for Christianity's truth. Not only does it work, but actually all Christians already believe this argument. They already believe it. Now, why do I say that? Mm-hmm. Think about this. Imagine a woman walks into a bus. She's not a Christian. Walks into a city bus and under her seat's like some little tract. And she pulls it open and it says, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Sure. Yeah. And you're a sinner. And it says, Jesus love for us in this. While we well, were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then she goes out of the bus and she's a Christian. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. So you stop her and you're like, wait a minute. You read this tract and you're a Christian. She's like, yes. Mm-hmm. And you're a Christian now. Yes. You're like, wait, why? Do you know the Kalam cosmological argument? She's like, no. What's that? Do you know the argument from fine tuning? No. Do you know the moral argument? No. Well, do you know the evidence for resurrection? No. You're like, right. well, how can you be justified in believing Christianity is true when you mm-hmm. literally have none of the apologetic arguments that we spend years studying? Right. What would she tell you? She would say to you this, right? She would say, well, I got on the bus and I read this tract and it told me that I was a sinner and I thought about my life. And I thought about all of the bad things I've done. I thought about the broken relationships. My life's mm, a mess. Mm, my pride, mm. my ego, my longing for something that I don't have. I just I realized right. that yes, I have fallen short of all of my own standards, let alone God's standards. And right. then this track told me that I couldn't save myself, but that God made a way for me to be rescued. So I knew that I just I've had self help books. I've gone to therapists, and none of it worked. So I know that I can't save myself. And here I have a message that God can send Jesus to save me. And here's the other thing, Mr. Stranger. I've never heard that message before. I've (laughs) gone to to spiritual centers. I've gone to seminars. No one's ever told me that I was a sinner needs a savior. Now, why is that? So I figured, so this must be right because it's it's telling me all about what I know is true through introspection what has she just done? She's just articulated the argument from the gospel. She just hasn't formalized mm. it. Right. And I make the point that if you've never heard of the Kalam cosmological argument, you can be a Christian. If you've never sure. heard of, you know, fine tuning or the moral argument, or even evidence for the resurrection, you can still be a Christian I and mean, you have to right. believe the resurrection, but you can not know the evidence for it. Sure. You can just take the Bible as that. But if you don't believe that you're a sinner who needs a savior, you're not a Christian
0: Right? by definition,
1: right? So, my point is the gospel itself mm, that's good. is already wow. an apologetic for the truth of Christianity. That's only like a five-minute elevator speech, sure. but oh, that, it that's my amazing outline it more clearly. Yet.
0: I've never heard somebody put it that clearly and concisely, Neil. I think a lot of people, the argument that you're making, know that is true, but they just can't explain it. They They just can't articulate. It's like, hey how do you know you're a Christian? Because somebody told me something that they couldn't have known, (laughs) you know, that there was some kind of revelation out there that told me something that I never told anybody. How did you know that? You know, like you you were saying with the, the example of the doctor, that's great. It really just puts a lot of things into place for a lot of people. And I think it'll help people. It'll strengthen a lot of people's faith who may be doubting and saying, I don't know all of these evidences. I didn't get a PhD in apologetics from this university. How could I possibly know that I know that I'm a Christian? I think Mm -hmm. it'll give a lot of people peace and confidence. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, we managed to burn up another 30 minutes here, Neil, and I could burn up another 30 more. This is fascinating conversation. I, I really enjoy talking to you. I can't wait For the conference in a couple weeks, when you're going to be here, I think you're going to be a a huge blessing to the community here in Portland and to our apologetics ministry. And so thank you for the conversation. And I look forward to having you here in Portland in a couple weeks. Great. My pleasure, Roy. Now, how about you? Could you characterize the conversations that you have with people that you disagree with as respectful, charitable, and mutually beneficial? As we've said this before, apologetics is not about winning the argument. It's about walking with others to find the truth together. Now make sure you sign up for our annual conference on October 8th and 9th at our website, theambassadorsforum.com. There will be lots of great teaching and lots of great opportunity to practice apologetics and to be equipped. It will be a virtual conference this year with lots of amazing speakers, including Neil Shenvey, Sean McDowell, Elizabeth Urbanowitz, and others. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.